If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Black on the Scene is a love letter to black creators, black content, and black voices who are helping to drive change and representation in entertainment. I'm John Gist, here with my co-host Didi Brown, and we are two industry professionals that have worked on some of the most iconic multicultural film and television campaigns over the years. The Black on the Scene podcast will highlight the many accomplishments of black folks across film, TV, music, art, literature, and sports that celebrate diverse and nuanced stories which embody our culture. In each episode, we shout out and give flowers to some culture contributors and creators that you know and those you should know for being Black on the scene. So let's get into this episode. It's Dee Dee Brown, back with my illustrious co-host, the mighty, mighty John Gist, for another episode of Black on the Scene, with my homeboy, George Alexander, as our special, special guest today. George is an NAACP Image Award-nominated producer who has worked with some of the world's most recognizable brands, including Coca-Cola, BET, ESPN, VH1, TNT, OWN, Audible, Essence, PBS, TV1, and many, many more. George and I both have deep roots in Mobile, Alabama, but have lived in New York for much longer than I think we care to remember. Didi <laughs> <laughs> George has the receipts. He is the founder of Galax Media, a TV and video production company which executive produced the Coca-Cola and Essence series, If Not For My Girls, that starred former Destiny's Child member and Greenleaf star Latoya Luckett. He serves as a producer on the TNT series American Race, which was hosted by NBA legend Charles Barkley. And that series examines some of the most provocative social issues of our time, from policing to stereotypes in Hollywood. He was a senior producer on the ESPN 538 short documentary, What's Happening to the Republican Party, which looks at Donald Trump's improbable rise in the GOP. George was also the supervising producer on the BET Network series, Leading Women, for which he earned his NAACP Image Award nominations for the show's episodes of Maya Angelou and singer India Ree. And George was also the executive producer, writer, and director on TV One's One Night Only, live from the Essence Music Festival, and wrote the VH1 series, Black in the 80s. So he has stayed busy. Busy. So George has produced the video tributes for the Essence Black Women in Hollywood Oscars Luncheon, which John and I can attest were beautifully done. He also wrote, produced, and directed the Essence short film entitled The Power of Our Presence, starring Angela Bassett, Quivagene Wallace, Carmen Ajogo, and Laz Alonzo. George started in media as a writer, contributing to such publications as Variety, Inc., HBO.com, Ebony, The Huffington Post, and Black Enterprise, for which he served as editor-in-chief writing about small business, Hollywood, and politics, including cover stories on Barack Obama. And Doubleday published his book, Why We Make Movies, 
and Queens portraits of black women in their fabulous hair. George is a graduate of Morehouse College and Columbia Business School. Woo, George. Ooh, George, 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 welcome to Black on the Scene. How are you doing today? Hey, great to be here, you guys. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Just one little correction. I was editor at large for Black Enterprise, not editor in chief. I don't want to take that away from Derek Dingle. Oh, I, like, I, I actually made that up. Segments. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's all right. I feel Didi, like get... the editor in chief. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Didi, get the, get the receipts right, Didi. Get the receipts back. <laughs> George, I, don't want to, I don't want to be clapping back, you know, sending you guys some hate mail. Right. <laughs> maybe I'm speaking that. Maybe I'm speaking that. Myself. Maybe I'm speaking that into existence for you. I don't know. Right. <laughs> You're welcome. I'll take, it. I'll take it. Well, George, we are so happy to have you here today on Black on the Scene. Um, but I got to start back at the beginning of young George. Um, growing up in Mobile, Alabama, deep down south. Um, <laughs> who were you as a young child? What were you dreaming about doing and becoming uh, as you were growing up? Yeah, that's like a really good question because... Um, I never thought I'd work in the entertainment industry, I must say that, because, uh, but as a child, I was attracted to things, um, creative things, like being in the, the, the um, school Christmas play, stuff like that. I always got excited about that kind of stuff. And I think my parents all, also indulged my interests, which was also good. I remember going to a play at the Pixie Players, which was a children's theater there. I think they've changed the name now, but... I, had, I went with my, my, my friend, his mom took us. And I, I wanted to be in the play. I liked the kids were having fun on stage. So I went and auditioned. I had my mother take me like in a few weeks and I auditioned to be uh, in a few productions. And I was like in the chorus or something. I mean, I didn't have like a huge part, but it was something about it that was very, very exciting. But I still never thought that that was like, like a career path. So when I, um, but I, I did go to movies a lot. I love, love movies. Um, like the Saturday matinees, my mother would drop my friend Damien most of the time, drop us off. So we would see all those, whatever, you know, kitty movie, Disney, you know, um, what were those movies back then? You know, Benji and all that kind of, that's what comes to mind. Benji, <laughs> uh, Escape the Witch Mountain, all those kind of things. I mean, I, I just love that. The movies put, played a huge part in growing up. Of course, television and stuff like that. But still didn't seem like a career path. Um, so... Going away to college, I majored in business, and I just think I followed the crowd. I went to Morehouse. Everyone there is majoring in business, a pre-med, a pre-law, something that's noble and black, that you're going to uplift the race, use that. To up. So it didn't occur to me that you would go into, um, that I would, you know, aspire something entertainment, if that answers your question. But I was in high school band, so I was in creative things. I was always attracted to that. And, and Courses in high school in which I had to write, I always loved those classes too. But again, it didn't seem like a career path. I just, I was, I just enjoyed it. So George, I just learned this about you as we got to spend so much quality time together in LA a few weeks ago during Oscars, uh, Oscar mm -hmm. week. You actually, as you said, majored in business and worked in finance for how many years um, and in New York. And I, I want to hear a little bit about that. And then that pivot where you were like, this ain't for me. Right. It's always a good question because um, I sometimes ask myself, like, but uh, yeah, so when I was working in finance, I worked in commercial banking, like commercial slash merchant banking. So, and part of that time, I, um, I, 
I was never in love with it, although there were periods where I did sort of enjoy it. And there was a stretch when I worked in media entertainment at Security uh, Pacific Bank, which is a California bank that was later acquired by uh, Bank of America. But and during that period, I was in the, the media entertainment, and I, and I really liked it. Uh, we did cable deals and publishing and, and film financing and stuff like that, but it was still very much number crunching. And uh, but I got a chance to go to you know screenings all the time, and you know you kept up with the industry by reading Variety and Hollywood Reporter and all that. But I was still not; it was not something that spoke to my my heart. So I started becoming really disenchanted with finance. And I remember one day uh, I was talking to a friend. I was like, there must be another way to live. Like, it just felt like it was a grind. No one around me seemed very excited about what they did. I mean, maybe there were a few people, but but most of us, I think, but, but I mean, I had, I, could, I had a good lifestyle. I could take amazing vacations. And, you know, it was just, it was great. You could go out to all the restaurants you wanted to go to, but day to day, I was just absolutely miserable. And so I remember telling a friend, I think I'm going to just quit my job. And just just do it. Just go for it. Like I started. Um, and this is the '90s when the black film movement was really huge. You had John Singleton. Just like there was a there was a presence, and that you felt there was you could see these possibilities around you. Um, so um, I remember telling my dad that I'm, this was the first step. I told my dad I was going to quit my job and move back to Mobile. That's what I did. I called him up, and he's like. And I thought I thought my dad would say, "Oh, no problem, son. You just come on back home." And, you know, we love you so much. But it was like silence on the phone. And he said, I said, I'm going to come down home and think about what I want to do. That's what I said. He goes, well, no, you can't do any thinking down here, son. You can think up in New York. You can, if you want to do that, you can think. There's no thinking. That's what he said. There's no thinking. But he was like mocking me. There's no thinking going on down here. So I said, uh, okay. So that's not an option. Moving back home is not like this option. Uh, so a friend said, why don't you take a class in writing, see if you like it. So I said, okay, that makes sense. So then the new school had a Saturday class, a Saturday class. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That only interfered with college football. So, you know, going from Alabama, we watched college football like crazy. So I took this one class at the new school and immediately in screenwriting, I was like, oh, wow, there's a whole world of people. There's a whole world of possibilities. Uh, it just instantly, four minutes into the class, I was like, oh, wow, this is like, we're talking about characters and plot. And I looked around the class and I saw all those people that you thought, oh, well, they'll never get a job. They're not studying business. They don't want to go to business school, law school. Like these are the freaks, the, 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 the theater people. Um, but I felt like I was one of those people. I was like, whoa, like these are the people who we laughed at in school who like wanted, wanted to do theater and stuff. But I felt like, okay, wow, I found a tribe. So then you start taking more classes. You start hearing about other schools. Like NYU has an evening class. And so that's what it started off. And then I think once you start commit to something, doors start opening up, new possibilities, new people come into your, your, your world. I joined the Black Film America Foundation, started going to like monthly workshops they would have down at NYU. Then I started working on short films. I would work on, I met people, oh, you should be working on short film. I would PA, like work in the art department, whatever department, I, wherever there was a slot. And most of the time I would just do this, take my vacation time and do that. I would, you know, when other people take trips, I was like, mm, I'm going to work on this short. I'm going to work on this music video. 
I would drive trucks. I would do uh, clean bathrooms. I would go get craft services. And I was loving every single minute of it. So when I got back to banking on Monday, I was like, it was, banking was exciting. And then I could tolerate it because I was like, I have a whole other world you don't know anything about. That's, that's what made it exciting. So banking became like, okay, this is my, this is what I started telling myself. I work for George Alexander Incorporated. My cash flow division is banking. The other stuff I can do, you have to sort of think about how you look at your life. So the banking was like, great. For a season, you know, for a period of my life. And so, so, I got to quit. I'm sorry. So I was going to say, so, so that's, that's great. That's so fascinating. So when you, when you decided that the season was over and you wanted to do this, you know, production cre- creative world full time, let's talk about what that transition looked like for you. So you were, so now this is pretty much taking kind of your, your entire life, right? Um, so how, how was that transition? What were the challenges in that? kind of um, in that regard? Yeah, that's a good question because it wasn't an overnight decision. I would say mm-hmm. it took place over years. I started, you start making lifestyle changes. So uh, you start, first I started saving like crazy. Because um, I, I, every year, I think the, the challenge of quitting your job is a lot of it's mental and spiritual, I think. Because uh, you have to make up your mind um, because you know, I, I would run it by friends, and like it just seems so ridiculously uh, foolish. Because even when I started taking classes, people thought something's wrong with George. He acts so strange. Like he, he didn't come to a party, or he said he had a class, or like some what kind of class he taking. Like what's he doing? Like this is like you just become like a weirdo. So, so some people, especially people who, with whom you went to business school, not everyone. You, know, you have your your friends who believe in you. So I did a film class. And saying it's gradual, you find your cheerleaders. So I remember I did my first short film. One friend, she went to business school. She was a banker, but she made craft services. She made dinner. You know, she showed up with lasagna for the crew. And those are the friends who cheer you on no matter what, you know. Um, are those who I pick up the phone and call a friend, you know, oh, they work, they do makeup. They, they, they can work on your film. You know, that kind of stuff. You start, you find the people who, um, who are just there for you no matter what. And then the others just, you know, you find a different place for them. And so that's the, the first part is being confident in yourself, you know, that you can do it. Because, so every year I said I was going to quit, and that went on for three or four years, you know. And then, and then finally, I got this promotion, and I remember, and I had so many responsibilities, it was just overwhelming. Like, I felt every day, I, was like, I just hated it even more and more. You know, you get pushed to that, against the wall to the point where you're like, oh my God, this is like, just, I just don't like it. And, um, and so I, I just kept telling myself, um, there has to be, you have to finally make a decision because it's never going to line up, you know, perfectly. And I remember hearing about a young lady I knew, uh, she was, she was an acquaintance, but she passed away, um, suddenly. But she was doing what she loved, you know, she was doing what she loved. And in this accident, she passed away. So I was like, at least she was doing what she loved. I was like, suppose you passed away and you were doing what you hated. Like you were on a business trip, and she was, and you passed away and you were doing something you hated. Like that would be like a nightmare. Like, I'm like, I have to quit. I have to quit. I have to quit because who wants to go out like that? At least she went out like passionate, you know, on a business trip. But she was doing something she lived to do. I'm like, can you imagine dying on a, on a flight, uh, uh, like on a trip, 
when you absolutely despise what you did. So then that gave me the confidence to say, you don't get one shot at life. You got to go for it. And so I got up the courage and finally did it. And I felt like I had also support from people I work with, like bosses and stuff. Like when you tell people that you're just not into it, like I'm going to give you a long notice. It's not going to be some two-week notice. I'll give you like two months or something, maybe six weeks, because I know we were going through a busy period. But it was something where I felt like I had support, too. Because it's like, I, just, I, have, I have other interests. I want to do something else. And he was like, no problem. My boss was like, okay, I understand. I get it. I get it. I get it. And so, um, yeah, everything kind of lines up. Of course, it's not easy when you leave your job. I mean, it's sort of like, but I think preparing myself mentally and financially for, like, I didn't have to have new suits every year. I had to stop buying suits. You start doing things. You start adjusting your lifestyle. Get a roommate. Whatever you have to do. You can do it. I mean, we waste a lot of money in New York City. You know, think about it. A lot of money goes out the window. You don't know where it went. Like, where did that money go? Just, just went to the ATM. Where'd it go? Well, you know, the saying is before you even leave your house, you spend $20 on something before you leave your apartment in, in New York City. It's just a, such an expensive place to live. But you have said something that's so, I think, key and pivotal is that you, you had a plan and it was basically your finance and business background coming together to give you this plan to start leading this more creative life, right? But share with us how the business of, that business brain of yours also set you up for so much success, aside from the plan, because you have to set yourself up still as a business. You have a media and production company. Talk to us about how those early years in finance and business helped set you up for creating this, this amazing creative endeavor, but it's still a business because you still got to make money. Right. No, no question. So I think, um, you know, one thing about you realize quickly to make the entertainment stuff, I'm going to be this director, like everyone else. My, at the time, my roommate had gone to NYU, and they, um, and, and they, they had, a, a, I think, a, a first look deal at, at, at Disney. So, so um, I was around people who were doing, doing amazing things. But the other part you mentioned is very important, too. Like, it doesn't happen overnight. Like, you think, like, there, and there's, no, there's no map. Think about business school is very structured. Or if you go to law school, you go to business school, Recruiters come to campus, you have receptions, and there's a whole structure to your, a career path. Entertainment industry, there really isn't one. I think you have to carve it out yourself. Um, but one of the things um, that I set out to do was be a screenwriter. I'm going to go to L.A. I'm going I'm to stay in New York first, and then I'm going to um, I'm going to write the great American screenplay because, like you know, but you you realize. So then I picked up and moved to L.A. Uh, shortly after um, leaving. Um, banking, but you realize every single person in LA has a script, which is cool. But but I had a lot of relationships from business school, so some friends from business school were working as executives, so I could always get in the door places. So you had access to people, which is so much of it is that getting access. Uh, but you still have to constantly do your hustle. And, and the world was different in the '90s too, because you didn't have you had a lot happening in television and black TV. Like you had UPN, a lot of black people doing amazing things. Uh, in television, and you said, you know, black filmmakers. The difference is that back then, you either pursued television or you pursued film. There wasn't this sort of cross-pollination that goes on today, like where people are doing all these different things. So I think 
looking back on it. So that was the thing. So in terms of business, it, it, and it was a gradual process. I, I started, I got into journalism um, as I was in LA. What was interesting was that as you're peddling your scripts, I started saying, okay, I gotta make some money. So then I started writing articles for Variety, Black Enterprise. That's how I started CNN.com or HBO.com. Um, uh, because uh, through relationships, like so back to the relationship part of it. A new editor at Black Enterprise, she goes, oh, I have a story, I'll, you know, she assigned it to me. You can either, you know, it's your opportunity, you either crash, you do a good job on the story, you get more stories. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Or you don't. But what was great about writing articles, I had started getting access to tons of people. And then I was no longer just the screenwriter in LA, which, which there are a gazillion. I was a journalist. Oh, that was more interesting. People. Oh, wow, what do you write? What do you write? Oh, we'll invite you to the screening. Or you can get access to all these different people. Because now you have something, unfortunately, they need. Um, or, you know, you can build relationships that way. And, and writing for HBO.com, I got a chance to interview a gazillion directors. Um, Forrest Whitaker and I think Bill Duke, just quite a few people uh, who had story, who had films coming out on HBO or you know, television projects. So that was really good. That was a really great opportunity. And in that period, I said, hmm, I'm interviewing all these directors. Directors have amazing stories. Why not pitch a book? I always try to think bigger. Like, what is it? Okay, there's an article. How can an article go? turned to a book. And so I knew an editor at Doubleday, back to relationships. And the editor I knew at Doubleday, I'd known her socially, but I also, in banking, I did a lot of volunteer work. This is where volunteer work, everything, everything, can, everything can feed your career goals if you do it, I think, naturally, organically, and from, from your heart. You know, so there's an organization called the Frederick Douglass Creative Arts Center, and they had amazing writing classes. I mean, just incredible writing classes that were really dirt cheap. And it was run by Fred Hudson, who taught at NYU. He taught at Tisch School. And it was and, and Bud Schulberg, who won the Oscar for the screenplay for On the Waterfront, was also a founder. He had also founded the Watts Writers Workshop in LA years before. So I also then eventually sat on the board of this organization. So and we and in that I just knew tons of writers and tons of people in publishing. And Janet Hill at the time was an editor at Doubleday. And I said, Janet, who's a friend, and who I, got, I recruited a volunteer at Ferdinand Douglas. I said, I have this idea for a book uh, uh, on black directors. And she goes, that's a great idea. She says, I've always wanted to do a book like that. So I put together a book proposal. Long story short, the book, you know, I got, and, and, and Doubleday. Um, it was like one of those things that happens in miraculous. You do the book proposal, the agent signs, you know, you get, you know, those things that, you know, beginner's luck, you call it, or just divine intervention, God, and all those things kind of lined up. And uh, that was that was a really great opportunity. Um, and so using that, and so that also led to my meeting an, an executive at VH1, because, you know, editor, they um, publicity sends out your book to every place. So this, this producer at VH1 liked the book, and she said, oh, you'd be great for our show, Black in the 80s, and that was my first television gig. Things just kind of opened up. Doors started opening through those experiences of, you know, um, but it was it was still a, not an easy, it's still not an easy road. It's never like, you know, I think you never make it. I think I heard Ben Affleck say there's no such thing as ten, uh, tenure in the entertainment industry. 
like you're constantly <laughs> starting over in some ways. You're constantly looking for the next big thing to um, open a door. You know, so I, I think I always remember his comment <laughs> that you never have tenure, you're constantly trying to create new opportunities. If that answered your question. But I, um, you asked something else about starting a, the business part of it. Did that, did that answer that part of it? Yeah, it's really more how your early career in life shaped this creative endeavor that you're doing and how they're sort of inextricably tied. So yeah. you have the benefit of being this, having this amazing creative talent that you're tapping into. But luckily for you, you also have a business brain and was smart enough to be like, I'm going to save money. This is my plan, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's it's worth it to illustrate to our community that there's always ways to figure things out. And a lot of times you, you're not starting over. You're just starting where you are with what you have and how you build from there. So John and I are big advocates of trying to connect the dots for our community, because a lot of them are in pivotal places in their careers. Yeah, I, I think you touched on a really good point. I think the relationship part, you know, industry, entertainment industry is very relationship driven, as you guys know. And I think it's, you have to maintain those relationships. So I think having those relationships early from finance helped tremendously. I think the other part too, uh, that I think is important for our community, any community are really important for our community, is that don't be afraid of, of getting your hands dirty early on in, the business, in this entertainment industry, meaning doing the grunt work that I think sometimes uh, we come from backgrounds that um, some of us may have gone to, if you've gone to business school, law school, or things that are sexy like that in quotes, I mean, when I got to LA, you see everyone's been to business school or law school or dental school, whatever, who now wants to do uh, you know, something in entertainment. But I think sometimes there is a negative association with things like, oh, I'm going to be on the set. And I'm going to be getting coffee uh, and I'm going to uh, go um, go get groceries. And sometimes I think, particularly if you have a graduate degree or something or any degree uh, that you think, oh, that's beneath my training or that's beneath my station in life. And I think sometimes people outside of our community don't have that sort of baggage. You know what I mean? I've heard more than one person say this. I remember Robert Townsend saying this at a black cinema conference. Who was back in the nineties again? And uh, you put on this tremendous black cinema conference and um, Robert Townsend was talking about, and I'm paraphrasing that sometimes you, you have a brother on the set, you say, move the light. He might have an attitude. He might get an attitude with you. Uh, and it's not because I think because of our history in this country of forced servitude, you know, of forced labor, that sometimes we have this, idea that those kind of positions, we, we associate them with something negative or um, a negative, very negative experience, when in fact, it's just what everyone does when they're entering the business. It's like, okay, you show up, you're gonna, you need to go get coffee and then grab this and do this. And it um, seems very subservient, particularly if you uh, have, you know, have, you're coming from a background where you were VP someplace or you were, you know, you were telling people to go get coffee. And so, um, and then those jobs don't pay a lot. And so I think the other part of it is that many of us don't have the luxury of being able to weather it out in these really low paying jobs. Um, 
so we don't, um, we, our, our, our timetable may be different, you know, whereas someone else, because they've grown up with people at the dinner table talk, talking about entertainment, they know that you're going to start off in the mail room, um, you know, um, and they've, been, they've, they've studied enough of how people make the, the, the leap that they understand the path. Like I've heard Charles King talk about working in the mail room at Lee Morris, but he knew that everyone, he wanted to be an agent and eventually run, a, run you know, have his own studio, that that was the path. So I think if you understand, that's back to the homework, understanding it. And you learn so much by getting coffee. That's the thing about it. I try to tell young people all the time. It's not getting coffee. It's building relationships. It's being accountable. It's being, you know, you have access to all these people. I remember telling these young kids that um, they were interns at the Essence Festival. And they're backstage. You know, they're, and, you know, these are you know, smart young black people, but... They didn't realize what a luxury it was to be backstage with Mary J. Blige right there, Jill Scott there. I'm like, this is very unusual. Let me explain something to you. You need to, you need to thank all these people who allowed you to be a PA. I said, you know how unusual it is for young black people to get access? I mean, you're backstage all week with the biggest stars <laughs> ever. It's just unusual. So build these relationships. Just don't come do this. Who, whose number have you gotten? Like, have you, like, networked back here? Like, just don't, get, don't become a fangirl, a fanboy back here. You're here working. Like, so they understood it. They said, oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. I said, you were about to walk off and not even say thank you. You didn't even thank us for the time. Get out, you don't have our numbers. You need to write us next week and send thank you notes and tell us how much you appreciate it. One young lady, she did it, and she's done well. I think, you know, but sometimes we have, if you, it's orient, what you've been exposed to, what people you know, have taught you, but we have to pull people aside and, and help the young people out, you know, um, and, and they pass it on to someone else, you know. I think it helps. No, that's, that's, that's so true. So I love that you're reiterating about uh, relationships, your network, because they, they've obviously, you've been able to make phone calls and requests and they've helped you get businesses and gigs and things like that. So when it came to you actually starting your own business, mm-hmm. right, of, of, of Galax Media, um, I want to twofold. What, what made you decide to just go ahead and just do that, right? And then what were your obstacles to kind of that you faced in starting your own business? Because I'm sure, you know, Dina and I talk about this all the time and we always, and we talk to our different, um, throughout the show, the different guests that we've had on about just the journey of being a business owner, right? Like, it's the business that you do, the work that you do, but it's also like the operation. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Aspect of it, the, the, the taxes and the, you know, employment of your team and and insurance and like all these other elements of that it takes to just be a business owner. So I want to kind of just really like unpack what that journey was like for you to just go off on your own and kind of how, how that, how that kind of transpired. Yeah. Uh, good question. Because I think that, you know, when you're working independently, first I was working as a, you know, as a freelance journalist and I never liked that word freelance. Um, and Harry, I think Harriet Cole, um, a writer and used to be editor, you know, chief of Ebony, who said, I don't like that, I don't like that word, freelance. Let's stop using it because um, it implies that we work for free. 
uh, that we uh, that our work is invaluable. So I started as a journalist working like that. You know, just say independent. I'm an independent journalist. You know, and I, I like that a lot better because uh, we said we don't say freelance lawyer or freelance doctor. We don't say anything else. But anyway, but as I started thinking about working on um, productions, um, frequently. I, I didn't want to be the person just just for hire on this one project and like what can I create or what how can I be the the go-to person that I I'm bringing this client uh, all the resources I'm just a turnkey so they don't have to think about hair and makeup or uh, edit editor or all these other a aspects of it um, I'm just delivering the the final product all, all the elements to them so it really becomes you become an asset to organizations if you look at it that way. So uh, to your point of thinking about all those aspects like insurance and workers comp, you have to really understand that you are in the business and that you might be doing business in more than one location. You may be doing business in multiple states where you're working on production where, so this is where it comes into really understanding what's required. So if you're doing shoots in, in California, Louisiana, North Carolina, every state has labor laws. What are those laws as it pertains to workers' compensation? Or just those different things that seem small, but God forbid someone you hire gets hurt in that state. You know, you could be uh, in, in, in trouble you know, legally and with, their, you know, with the state. So things like that. Um, production insurance, of course. Um, but then thinking about, like, just the payroll, all those different things that you have to do your homework. Luckily, having worked with other producing, you know, production companies, as as the person for hire, uh, equipped me, educated me about that process. But I like it so much because there's a freedom uh, in seeing there's there's a joy in seeing the value you can bring to a client by making it very easy for them. Um, you know, using Essence as an example, like we're producing those packages, they don't have to think about all those things. They know they they hire Galaxy Media. They don't have to think about. Uh, they're very hands-off. They can. They they don't have to worry about travel. They don't have to worry about arranging any of those things. They just know that the packages are going to be delivered, and they don't have to worry. They don't have to. They don't have to have a headache of. Um, so, what problems can you solve? What value can you be? So you're always thinking about that aspect of it. So the, uh, I like it quite a bit. But you're obviously having to constantly thinking about think about. Um, um, always what you can provide, what else can you do, what other services can you provide. It's just very competitive, you know, and especially in the last 10 or so years, it's gotten competitive from the standpoint, we call them, the young people have come along in a digital world, in a uh, smartphone world, uh, where they've grown up around technology all over the place, right? So now you have young people who can do it all. They can shoot, they can edit, and they can, you know, they'll wear a thousand different caps. And so, and they're willing to work maybe for cheap, for less. Uh, so you have to think about competition that way. I'm not sure all, all of this always fantastic, but it depends on with whom you're competing. Um, you know, there are people out there, there's a name that was floated around for a while called the you know, predators, people who can, who can do a whole lot for, uh, for on the cheap. So you have to always be prepared to, um, Think about what you can do that's at a premium level so that maybe, okay, that, that, that's going to separate you from the pack when it comes to the work you do. Well, George, I'd love to hear about how you actually structure your like day. How are you managing doing all of these things? 
Like you literally do so much. You direct, you write, you do production. How do you manage all these multiple projects? What are some of the resources you utilize to keep yourself um, organized? Also, the business operations of running your business. Talk to us a little bit about those practical things. Right. Um, so I tend to get up pretty early. So I'm kind of like an early riser. Um, so that, so I try to write like early in the day. Like that's, this is how my brain works. Now everyone has their own sort of system. But for me, it's doing the creative stuff at the top of the day. Like I was, um, um, so I, yeah, when the world's pretty quiet, so they're not, like I'm not answering emails and stuff like that. So if I'm up at like five, it depends. You know, it could be a day by six, but but early is, is possible. And then, and it's, for, for focusing the first three or four hours on things that are creative in nature, you know, where I am just thinking about if it's if it's um, unscripted content, I'm working on scripts. So, for example, with the packages for us, is is you're working on these little scripts. Those those packages have scripts before you know they're they're cut into to being. So I was thinking about the all those elements of it from a creative perspective. Um, and then I'll do things like uh, emailing and all those kind of things, or meetings in the afternoon, stuff like this, or like we're doing today. Um, stuff like that, I feel I, I try to schedule in the afternoon, or lunches, or coffees, and things of that nature. But you know, sometimes you have to be flexible, too. You know, sometimes you have to then, um, if I'm working on another project, it might be doing research at night, watching, watching documentaries, reading, um, going to see plays, going to see things that keep me stimulated. Um, and on the pulse of what people are, are, are talking about, you know, like staying up um, in the industry. I mean, the world is full of a lot of, um, lots happening in the world. So you have to stay up on, you know, who, what are the cool new voices out there? What are people, you know, staying on the pulse is a part of it too. But I also make it fun. You know, you have to get rest. You have to see your friends and do things that, that try to have balance as much as possible. I think because you can work twenty four seven. You know, entertainment industry it can it's sort of um, you can get sucked into it. You know, I think where there where there are no boundaries. Yet I think it's important to set boundaries at, um, with the work. I think because um, yeah, but, I mean, as much fun as it is, I do think that you have to get sleep. I mean, being creative requires rest. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, you know, your ideas. Um, don't, my ideas don't fall. I used to think you can burn the candle at both ends. And there are times when we have to do it, right? There are times when it is what it is. You know, you got to just power through. But but I think you got to get rest. I mean, I, I was working on that podcast. I mean, I told you I have a podcast coming out. It comes out this summer. And we had a really intense schedule that is good in the sense that it stretches you, but it was an intense schedule. Like I was burning that candle, boy. I was like, whoo. I was, you know, but those are good challenges too to get to stretch and do things that never done. I never produced a podcast, so so there were there were new. There's a learning curve, so I think it's important to constantly stretch ourselves. Creative. Well, I love that, and also, how are you staying inspired to do all of these things? What gets your creative? Because I know you're su- obviously super creative, and we've been to some creative things together. Are you listening to music? You're going to art shows what gets your creative juices flowing yeah all of the above you know i think i do like live music a lot like um 
I like going to see exhibits. Like I can't wait to see the uh, Basquiat exhibit um, that um, you know that retrospective curated by his sisters. I cannot wait to see that. Um, yep, me too. Let's go together. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's definitely do it. Uh, I saw MJ the musical last week, which was insane. You guys have to go see it. You have to go see MJ the musical because Michael Jackson was just insane. The talented. But that was just so, there was so much creativity just exploding on stage. Um, so I, I try to check out theater. I've been seeing theater since, I mean, I've always gone to the theater, but since um, the theater started opening back up in the fall, you know, when, once um, Broadway theater was able to come back, I started to take advantage of it because you could easily get tickets pretty quickly and theaters were half empty half the time. So, um, I, th- I find that there's something about the live performance that is so invigorating. You know, something about the rawness of it, things just happening. Um, yeah, so I like that quite a bit. Um, and hearing what there's some amazing voices in theater, people who have a lot to say, you know. Um, yeah, so I do like that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Read, well, I'll read, I'm reading Colson Whitehead right now, his book, not his most recent book, I'm reading his book, the Nickel Boys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jeff, this is a good book. I'm enjoying that. Um, yeah, it's just there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's some talent out there, man. There's a lot. There's a lot of talent. I'm always inspired by like, well, people always blowing me away. Always, always, always. Well, for sure, George. And this is the time of the creator, right? So it's good to be a black creator, and you're creating so much amazing things that really lift us up. Tell us what's What's next for you? What are you working on? What can the Black on the Scene community um, help you with? Yeah, good question. So I'm working on an adaptation of my book, Why You Make Movies. I'm looking to adapt it into a documentary. So I'm having fun with that. That's a fun process, hard process, because how do you make something different and worthwhile? Like people, for now, there's so much competition, uh, as we all know. Um, you've seen you know, the latest news on Net- Netflix or you know, CNN plus the walls they they recently experienced because the consumer has so many options. So why are they going to, why is someone going to stop and invest their time in your, in your content? So it has to be provocative. I think it has to be something that is must see. And how do you do that? Uh, I mean, that's where the work comes in. That's why I go into the woodshed and that's part is hard. Like your brain just starts it's just like, whoa, like, you know, what, what, what am I saying here? So I have to challenge myself and interrogate myself to um, come up with something that you have to be tough on yourself for starters because, and then have good um, peers who can be tough with you in the process. You know, it's very important to have friends who can give you, this is how Fred Hudson, Frederick Douglass Creative Arts Center, God rest his soul. I always say Fred's name because he's someone people should know. Um, because he would always say, give unsugar-coated feedback, but in a loving way, you know? If someone surround yourself with people who can give you that unsugar-coated feedback, 
in a loving way is, is really helpful as opposed to people telling you, oh, it's really good, man. And then behind your back says garbage. You, you don't want that from, from, from people. You want to say, listen, man, you know, it's like, luckily I have friends who can say, I'm not feeling it. And there's not. And they can still be your friend and hire you for another project. They just say it's professionally done. It's good, but that's not, I'm not, it's not, it doesn't speak to me. And so you have to, you want that. You know, you want people to just give you the real. Man, I feel good. You can laugh at it. Like, I'm not feeling this. I'm not feeling that. I'm not getting into it. And so that's what you want. And, uh, and luckily I, I have that because um, that's how you stretch and grow. You know, that's how you're going to uh, get to the next level of, of, of greatness. And you work with editors who also can disagree with you or feel comfortable offering amazing ideas. You know, like they can think of something that you didn't even think of. And you're like, Oh, I didn't think of that. That's amazing, you know, and not feel like every idea has to be your idea. I mean, that's not, it's a collaborative process, you know, so um, I think that's, that's super duper important. So that's, that's what I'm most excited about why you make movies and um, this other project I can't talk about yet, but we'll see. I'll, um, I'll keep you posted on it though. It's a crime show that I was told I would, I would be hired to work on it. Well, you know, it's, it's all about crime. We'll see unsolved murders. So that could be interesting too. So we'll see. You know, in show business, it doesn't happen until it happens. So I don't go around talking about stuff, or posting stuff. You know, any everything is subject to change, <laughs> as we know, <laughs> and then some. Well, George, we we will stay tuned and and see and hear all of this these great work you're going to be doing. Um, you know, Didi and I thank you so much for for joining us on Black and Unseen. And you know, as we as you've probably heard and we've said before. Black on the Scene is our love letter to the Black entertainment space. And we really wanted to shine a light on um, people like you who are doing the work, who people may not know that you can pivot and you can have these, you can wear these multiple hats in this space and do it the way that you've done it. So we salute you when we see the work that you're doing and the work that you're contributing. But we want to ask you, what is your love letter to Black entertainment? What would be your, your gift to the space that you've been a part of for so many years um, that you, yeah, obviously that you've loved and that you're continuing to, to grow in? That's such a hard question. This is a really good question, but that's a hard question too. That's why I, I applaud you guys for coming up with such a hard question. When I saw it, I was like, oh God, okay, can I tell them I'm not going to answer that one? But usually I have the publicist. The publicist tells me that, right? Um, right. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's, it's from the heart. Everything but this, you know, but um, anyway, but no, I, I think my love letter is, I'm hoping that, and tell me if I'm answering the question. Because, yeah. Um, feel free to interrupt me if I'm not giving, because I want your listeners to, to hear what it is you're asking. Um, I, I think I want to be sure that I'm doing work that has integrity, that, um, that, I'm showing respect for black people when I do the work. Like that I, my love letter to black people that, and it's for all creators, I'm hoping too, that people feel inspired to do work, that I'm doing work that says that I'm not just doing this to get paid, that I've gone the distance and that I care. You know, I think that, that that's really super important that you actually cared enough about the audience and enough about your subject that that you've done the work, that you've done the homework, and that I, I've given every 300%. That we don't know how people are going to receive it or whether or not they laugh or whether or not they cry, whatever those emotions that you're trying to hit. But did you show up? Did you show up? What was your intent? 
when you got up? Did you care enough? And that, that's, I can't, I can't uh, underestimate that because that has a lot to do with the, the end product. I think when you show that you care about black people, uh, I think they'll know, black people will know. They'll know whether or not you had enough respect for us that when you wrote this and you did this, that you actually love black people. And people, black people know you love them and we know we don't. This person does not love black people. We know. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't care enough about the material to even get it right, or to you know, they when they see when they they'll see it and feel it when they when they're when they're consuming the content. And I think that's the and that's the key. And I think you answered the question so uh, uh, in such a writer's way because you you were telling a story as you were saying that answer, and I, and I, I I connect with that because and what you said earlier too about um, your. Um, you know, when you were younger, this being a lover of film, and again, that emotion that you felt from that, and that is your love letter, just because that's now translated into the work that you do. You want people to just feel good about it. You want people to feel the respect and see the intention behind what you've been working on. So kudos to you and congratulations to you for, for all that you are doing and that you will continue to do. Um, I have literally, uh, as you were talking about your... Uh, your two books that you've you've written, I'm like adding them to my Amazon cart so I can support support them because I too am a lover of film. So uh, while we make movies, uh, your book that you wrote in 2003 is, is something that I want to just consume and, and do. I also had aspirations of being a film director when I was younger. Uh, I wanted to be the next Spike Lee, and uh, so I, I love I love your your salutes and your you paying homage to those black voices of a black director. So it's not too late. It's not too late. Man. You, you know, know, I keep hearing that, but you know, I don't know if I got it in me to do that. Uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, you never know. One day you might get the inspiration. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to. I want to produce, and I'm going to, and I'm going to produce. But uh, putting on putting sitting in a director's chair is I, I i don't know yet if i can say i'm i'm ready to commit to that 100 percent. so and that's just being real with myself to, your podcast can turn to documentaries so start, i know like, yeah no totally yeah yeah totally totally you have the that part down with interviews and stuff so yeah you well george count, thank you never count yourself out that, no i definitely i, I appreciate you know you your conversation has definitely lit dd and i up and we appreciate you for for sharing your story and sharing your time with our black on the scene audience it has been a utmost pleasure hearing you speak about your journey your career and again i cannot wait to hear and see more that you do in this space because i know there's so much more that you have to accomplish um thank you to our black on the scene listeners for tuning in this week and we will see you guys next time thank you so much talk to you soon thanks thank you so much to our guests and to you for listening to this week's episode of black on the scene we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review plus share your own love letter for black entertainment and follow us on all social media platforms at black on the scene see you next time If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.